Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Consulting with Authority. I am especially excited to be talking to someone that I just met not that long ago. A lot of times my interviews are people that I've known for many years, but as soon as I had my first conversation with Holly, who you'll meet uh, briefly, I knew that if she was willing, I had to have her on Consulting with Authority. So Holly, thank you so much for being here. And I just want to uh, give everybody kind of an overview of who you are and what you do, and then we'll hop right into it. Okay. Holly, Holly Green guides leaders and their organizations in achieving greater success by teaching them to leverage their brain in their brains of others. As an experienced business leader and behavioral scientist, she has experience working in and leading organizations as well as supporting elite performers. And she's literally helped hundreds of organizations become even more successful. Holly, knowing a little bit about your background and where you come from and who you've worked with and the kinds of results that you are able to get with uh, your clients, I'm especially humbled to have you on Consulting with Authority and just appreciate you carving out some time for the interview today. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Good, good. Let's start at the beginning. You know, we don't need uh, every every little detail, of course, but tell us a little about your trajectory and your career and how you got to where you are, because I've always found that knowing the origin story is always fascinating and something that we can all learn from. Sure, sure. Well, I originally went to college for public relations, but quickly kind of abandoned that notion and mm-hmm. took a very circuitous route to do a lot of different things in my career. Everything from kind of HR roles to sales to general management to I I think my parents just thought I couldn't keep a job early on in particular. (laughs) Um, I was very, very lucky that I worked for some incredible companies Uh, early on. I worked for Deloitte and Touche and and then AT&T and Dell Computer and the Coca-Cola company. So had some great experiences, great training, uh, worked around amazing people, got to travel the world and just really do a lot of very interesting kind of projects and work. So that all came together. I, I moved out to San Diego mm-hmm. eventually to run the Ken Blanchard companies and led that organization, uh, almost doubled our revenues and and helped to really build a solid foundation there. And then, of course, we had 9-11. So that wiped out that sector uh, for a period of several years. And I realized uh, not long after that, that I had worked with these amazing people who were who I stayed in touch with. And I think that is one secret magic tip that I would encourage everyone to do really work hard to stay in touch with people, to constantly share things with them that they might be interested in, to support them and wherever they're at, and to always acknowledge and respond to any of those emails or requests or opportunities, you know, just to just to help people. And um, and I maintained kind of a database, you know, at that point, I don't know, it was probably all handwritten in a little (laughs) spiral notebook. But, you know, I really did work hard to stay in touch with people. And at some point, you know, I just had people who had moved on to become leaders of different organizations, presidents of of different companies. They would call and say, listen, is there any way you can take vacation and come help us just for a week with this or that? And I recognized that that's what I got excited about. That's what gave me energy. That's why I wanted to get up in the morning versus kind of going into a more traditional nine to five job at at a large organization that wasn't really that interested in changing or or, um, shifting. So despite the fact that I said I would never, ever, ever be really an entrepreneur, I became one. (laughs) I think that's true for a lot of us. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that was, it was, like I said, very circuitous and 
certainly not planned. And if you had told me 20 years ago, this is what I'd be doing, I would have laughed you out of the room. (laughs) You know, um, thank you for sharing. And obviously, I think some folks grow up and they say, I'm going to own my own business. I'm going to be an entrepreneur. And they follow that path. And it's great. But I've always been a business owner. But I've done a lot of different things in my career. And I find there's not one way, right? There's not one path. But I can only assume that your very background, all the different types of organizations that you work for, the different positions that you had, your different varied focuses have, I guess it's true for everybody, right? Our own stories create something different and special about us. And we just have right. to be willing to, to share that story out into the marketplace and find ways that what we know, our expertise and skill brings value to the market. Right. I've always thought, um, and I've had a lot of others tell me this, that my kind of my expertise or, you know, my real magic is taking theory and what I see in a variety of sectors and organizations and turning that into application that makes sense, that really adds value. And um, that is what I love to do and what I've spent the last really 20 years focused on doing. That's great. That's great. And I want to, I want to, that I made a note. So I can come back to it because I want to dive into that because I think so many of my clients, but also consultants in general or advisors, et cetera, you know, there's plenty of theory out there in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. The question is, how do you, how do you implement uh, and yeah. what does that look like? And that transformation from here's a great idea to let's get the results that idea is capable of is, yeah. you know, sometimes just a big black box. That's, it's a hard code to crack. Exactly. Um, I want to I want to learn a little bit more about when you started your business and and maybe you know when you started your business and then as your business uh, started to mature, one of the questions that I get consistently and I suspect it's one that you get as well from other advisors and consultants is how can we grow? How can we scale? How can we be more efficient with our time? How can we expand our capacity? How can we get in front of more of the right types of prospects we want to serve? So I know because you've been doing what you've been doing for a while and you've had such a career in the past, you've probably got some some cool business development ideas. But regardless, <laughs> I'd love to uh, I'd love to pick your brain on on how did you get started? How did you get your first few clients? And then in terms of growing your business today, what does that what does your marketing mix look like? Well, those are great questions, and I probably I wish I had been much more intentional. Although it worked out well, yeah. <laughs> so all of my initial clients, I would say at least the first five years came from people I had worked with, or that had worked for me, or yeah. that I had worked for previously. Mm-hmm. So maintaining those relationships, again, maintaining connections, just every now and then picking up the phone or sending on an article or doing something that, you know, I knew that person would be interested in, it would be helpful to them, etc. It was really, it was an in, what I call an incoming sales model. The phone would ring, I would answer, and I would do the work. So, yeah. and, and quite frankly, the vast majority of our business today is still that. It is incoming business, it is referral business. It also is today more we have shifted to, of course, we do marketing, we're on social media, sure. I write a lot. We do a newsletter every single month that goes out to about 15,000 people just to stay on people's radar to remind them of a few things we do, but always focused on adding value. Mm-hmm. Um, I give a lot away, a lot. You know, we give away a lot of tools. Our website's filled with a lot of free resources. I'm more than happy to share with people. 
One of the things I also do, we do um, about 30% of our revenue stream is keynote speaking. And we always do a follow-up series. So we do 12 weeks following a keynote once a week with an additional tool or tip or template. I find so many people just go in and think that in the moment, they're going to capture all of this wonderful business as if there's not a lot competing for people's time and attention. You know, distractions are greater than they've ever been. So we really do, I would say, working hard to stay on people's radar in a way that's helpful, not intrusive. And I'm very sensitive to that. We don't do a lot of buy now, buy now. In fact, we've probably done two of those in 20 years and and really didn't feel like that was the right approach for us. So I don't use a lot of the traditional marking, you know, scarcity techniques or, you know, time limitation techniques, et cetera. I really use relationships, quality of work and referrals. That is what our business is built on. That's hard in a sense because it's more incoming. So yeah. it's a little less predictable as far as a revenue stream, but it it has worked for us. And I think that is because I do have a database of 15,000 people that all know me, have seen me. I have, you know, we don't, we don't buy lists or right. that's all been developed by double opt-in kind of things. So um, that has been our approach. It's certainly not the only approach. It's not sure. the right approach. It's just the one that happens to have worked for us. No, exactly. And that's why I love having these conversations with, you know, a variety of different consultants, because everybody's got a different approach to, mm-hmm. you know, similar problems. You know, one thing that I will mention, though, that is consistent in my observation across consultants who are consistently busy with new opportunities and with new clients. And that is what you said, two, two elements, kind of the opposite sides of the same coin. And that one is staying in touch. Mm-hmm. Staying in touch with your key network, key relationships, COIs, past clients, obviously current current clients, yeah. prospects. Uh, but then the other piece, which is again the other side of the coin, is giving a lot away. Yeah, right? being willing to not just say, "Hey, if you want this, then you've got to jump through all these hoops." Right. Uh, but if you want this, here it is. You know, take a look, and if we can help you implement that, or if we can help you further that uh, integration into your business or whatever it may be, then let's have a conversation. Exactly. Uh, I think that's, I think that's really, really important. Uh, You know, it's the, it's the the theory of sowing and reaping, right? (laughs) Uh, The more more seed that we can plant consistently into the world of the right people, you know, those are going to sprout. And, and what you're talking about is cultivation, right? Just continually cultivating that garden of opportunity. I love it. Yep. Yep. And I also love your note too, tactically about you do after a keynote. Because I've had the same experience where I'll go in and do a presentation or a workshop and that's great and it's well received, but behavioral change is not something that usually in mass, right? It usually doesn't happen over a one or three hour or even a day long period of time. Can you say that a little bit? We're kind of getting into process a little bit here in terms of how you think about working with prospects and clients and obviously your work in the behavioral uh, science category, I think, is is huge to this. So, if if we as consultants, if our main charge is to have an impact mm-hmm. with the clients that we serve, then right. what's the behavioral side of that? Because it seems to me that I can go, anybody can go in and do a workshop or a keynote and go home, and there was margin, no question, there was some value delivered, sure. maybe enough, but probably not enough to get the result that is really desired. So, I'll I'll be quiet, and let you speak to that. Okay. Well, it it really has to do with how neural pathways get created in our brain 
and how our brain really works instead of pretending as if we're logical, rational creatures, which we're clearly not. Um, you know, I often tell clients, Peter Drucker obviously never went to an actual meeting because people just don't behave that way. We're just not rational. We don't show up prepared. And, you know, everyone knows exactly what's on the agenda and the decision-making process, et cetera. So I'm always a big believer in let's work with how humans really work. Let's work with how the brain really works. And the way that we create neural pathways is through thinking and doing. So the doing becomes very, very important. You know, good intentions are crap, basically. And so how do we get the practice in? How do we, you know, you can talk about something and I often do this with audiences where we'll, I'll share a technique and everybody's nodding their head. Oh yeah, of course I do that. I do that. Well, and then we'll do something to prove that, no, you don't actually do that, that you understand it logically. You know, you should do it, but no, we don't actually do it. Right. Right. Our intentions and our actions are often very dramatically different. So so that practicing is really important in in even little small ways as much as possible. The professional nagging is to, you know, more deeply embed traveling down those same pathways, because the thicker the pathway gets in our brain, the, the thicker the myelin wiring, the more likely we are to do it again. That's what creates habits. That's why we continue to do things that don't even work for us, but they're familiar. Yeah. So it is really about tapping into the way the brain works, not the pretend way like we like to talk about, but understanding that we're pattern-seeking, structure-loving animals, um, that we like things that we're really familiar with, even if they don't work so well for us, that we're really constantly pressured, heavily pressured to just run at almost all cost. I mean, texting while driving is a great example. It's just sheer stupidity. You know, you're nine times more likely to be in a fatal car accident, but people are doing it every single day thinking they really are in that much of a hurry. So it is tapping into why do we do those things and then providing different options. And again, practicing, following up, creating what are known as secondary learning modalities. So just saying it is one thing, you know, people hearing it is one thing. So it's like the old proverb, you know, give a man a fish, you know, he eats for a day and teach him to fish, he eats for a lifetime. It's the same basic thing. So how do we constantly more deeply embed, practice, adjust, practice? And if we look at elite performers, if you look, for instance, at uh, professional athletes, I mean, that's exactly what they do. They don't do it once and think they're going to be fantastic. And they adjust, they get coaches, they review the tape, they you know, the, so it's that constant refinement. The key difference is between elite athletes, or I do work with the United States Navy SEALs and um, Top Gun fighter pilots and other elite performers in a variety of sectors. The difference is they carve out time just to practice to get it right. And everything we do at work every single day is practice. Yeah. You know, we're not carving out separate time typically to practice getting a meeting right. So we have to find ways to create that and recognize that every time we let people run in late and people be on their phones during the meeting and nod their heads, but not really truly agree to things. And we don't follow up and hold people accountable, including ourselves, that we're, we're creating neural networks. Um, we're, we're establishing habits, not the right ones. Yeah. And we have great intentions, but it just doesn't correlate to the behavior that we truly desire. So it's, it's just beginning to recognize, understand, and develop the skills and the practice around what we truly can do and what we're all pretty much capable of doing at work. 
it's just, we're often not taught. We're often not held accountable. And we often just don't have the space, the time, even we don't even feel like we have the five seconds to take a deep breath and reset and refocus and be more intentional in what we do. Yeah. Well, I, I know that you're talking to me too, directly. <laughs> uh, some, some, and to myself. Well, fair enough. Uh, some things I do, I believe, relatively structured, you know, they're structured, they're intentional, they're positive, you know, and I suspect it's true for just about everybody, period. There's things that I do, no doubt, completely unintentionally. And what you just said a second ago really resonates. You were talking about just the passive reaction we might have to somebody, whether it's just a blank nod or permission, you know, permission, passive permission given of, of allowing a certain type of behavior for, from a colleague or contractor or employee or whatever it may be. And what I never considered, right, what I never, ever considered until you said it, is that that is a passive action, but it's creating an active habit or reinforcing an active habit right. uh, that, that is potentially, you know, at the very least is not helpful. It may not be utter, utter destruction, but uh, it's a missed opportunity, right? Yes, unquestionably. You know, listen, if we look at elite teams and we all want to consider ourselves to be elite, to be fantastic at what we do, whatever that is, you wouldn't accept somebody who only, you know, did an okay job. You You wouldn't accept someone who didn't run the play on the field, if you will, the way it's outlined to be run, you know. So, it's amazing at work that we do accept that a lot. We accept mediocrity. We accept lack of accountability. I mean, if you really tracked in an organization a meeting and how many agreements were made and then tracked that over the course of 30, 60, 90 days, you would find the percentage insanely low of the things that are actually done that everyone agreed to do. Yeah. And, you know, that's just kind of, it's a, it's a waste of all sorts of resources. Right. So. You know, and it doesn't mean things don't shift and change and that there couldn't be a reason, but there's a difference between a reason and an excuse. (laughs) Yes, yes, there is. Yes, there is. That's right. And 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 what you're suggesting, again, just to reiterate, is not that is not to blindly accept a particular plan and run with it, but but rather to be intentional about creating the plan in the first place. (laughs) As opposed to it's really a partially a difference, I guess, between being proactive and reactive, and then not just in the moment. But carried over, right? And that's what, you know. Again, your your follow up after a keynote session, you know, people are naturally going to react in the status quo way they've always right. done after the keynote. It's human nature, so you know you have to be proactive in terms of helping to reinforce what they just learned and and make sure they practice it. And I will tell you that was really hard early on. I mean, we I ran all of that myself off little spreadsheets and try to remember every single week to send this out to this group and this group is at this phase and this yeah. group needs follow up three and this group needs follow up eight. But we stuck with it. You know, today we use a, a robust CRM system sure. to allow us to do that, which still takes a lot of effort and time and planning and you know, having to constantly update materials. And we literally have libraries with thousands of follow-up materials, but it's investing the time to do that well, that we often are running too fast and we're not slowing down enough to think the longer term benefit of this is very, very high. I just got contacted last week by someone that I did a keynote for six years ago. Six years ago, they, they were in an association meeting that I spoke at. And I, every month, though, they've gotten pinged. And, you know, now we're going to work together, right? Yeah. So 
that when you sort of build in some of those systems and structures and processes, as challenging as it is, and as expensive as it can be, quite frankly, it is so worth it if you stick with them and have the discipline to just maintain that. I won't tell you that we haven't made a lot of mistakes there. And we learned a lot of that a very expensive and very painful way. Mm -hmm. Um, but, But today it serves us very well. That's, a, that's excellent. I want to go into something you said earlier because, uh, and then tie this to something I know that you're working on. You talked about taking theory and turning it into application as sort of one of your superpowers or, or your, sort of your magic touch. And one of the projects I know that you have is something called the Management Development Institute. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm making an assumption here, correct me if it's not right. I'm making an assumption that this superpower of yours, taking theory, turning application is a core part of helping a manager become a better leader or, uh, you know, create whatever kinds of, achieve whatever kinds of objectives or goals they have within their, within their work. Describe for us, because I think it's a fascinating model that I know a lot of people will be interested by. Describe for us what the Management Development Institute is and kind sure. of how that uh, theory into application piece integrates with that. Absolutely. I originally created it about 15 years ago in conjunction with San Diego State University. And so I taught that program there for a number of years. And then about five years ago, we took the program. It's my intellectual property. So we kind of got the program back, if you will. And I work with so many clients where the biggest disconnect is that middle management layer. The executives are crystal clear. They believe they've cascaded effectively, but it never really gets down to frontline employees. And it doesn't really embed itself into ways of working and ways of thinking day to day. Mm-hmm. So we we took all of the material we had and said, if we could create a curriculum that goes over the course of one year to build truly elite managers what does that look like? What are the behaviors of that? What are the behavioral indicators? What would we see people doing and hear them saying? And that's how we built that program. So it's a once a month live interactive webinar with small cohorts of less than 20 people. And it's a it's a defined curriculum that gets customized. I run it for several companies as well as kind of their internal universities. So that obviously those are customized. But in general, it's the the foundational elements starting with our brain. How does it work? How do we use it? And then what do we need to do? And as we begin the doing, we're building neural pathways. And so we practice and, and it goes through, as I said, 12 months of learning and sharing and their reading assignments and homework and and practice in the session and debriefs. And so it's not a sit down and watch a pre-recorded video kind of program. It is live interactive webinars with full support in between those as well and a community for each cohort. So it's been very, very powerful. Um, We have a hundred percent graduation rate to date. So people do keep engaged and um, we push, you know, if you want to be the best, it's not easy. There's no one who is the best at what they do that doesn't work really hard at that. Gotcha. You know, it's worth it. (laughs) <laughs> right. But it takes and and we even we even start out with a, an exercise around what is your legacy? Because if you can get clear on what's really most important to you, that's going to help propel you to invest the time and the energy on those days where you feel like, oh, there's no way. Yep. You know, I just can't do get to this. So I was working that, with a client just earlier this morning on that exact issue and and they were naturally and inherently just going kind of down into the 
details and the blocking and tackling of what they needed to do and so forth. And it's a relatively new initiative. And so I said, okay, that's great. And that's really, really important. But let's take a step back because soon enough, that blocking and tackling, because you're making changes, you have challenges, that's going to start to create a lot of resistance. You're going to start to have resistance. You got to be able to overcome that resistance. So why are we doing this, right? And getting back to what you're describing as legacy, what's the true motivator behind the work? So one of the things I really liked about this model, speak to, because we've got other consultants and so forth on here listening to this, you had talked about other consultants potentially bringing in the Management Development Institute into their clients or for associations they're a part of. Describe in general terms what that looks like, because that's a really fascinating way that I think I'm certainly considering it a way to increase my own capacity, but also bring new value and new capability to my existing clients or future clients. Sure. Well, we can certainly white label the program. The platform that we use is we're able to do that. We can co-brand the program, do pay a referral fee. For instance, I work with several national associations and there's a revenue share with those associations when they bring their members in. So there's all kinds of ways. Listen, I believe there's enough to go around. And so, you know, I'm always happy to collaborate with good people and figure out a way that we can both win in a situation. So uh, we've probably done half the variations possible on that today. (laughs) And there's a lot of other fun and creative ways that we can always make that work. So yeah. So anybody who's interested or who sees that need in a client and says, number one, I don't have the tech. It does require a heavy technology infrastructure to make it work. And you know, we've in over the years invested in all of that. We've invested in the learning styles and the 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 ways to really deeply embed it into the automatic follow-ups and to, you know, all of those kinds of things. So happy to, um, you know, talk to anyone who's really interested, sees a need for it and wants to collaborate and figure out some cool way to do it. Yeah, that's great. I, I, I love the model and approach. And as soon as we talked about it the other day, my brain was spinning in terms of uh, potential opportunities for relationship with you. But then also, you know, what is my equivalent? What, what kind of model could I could I create that's similar in concept, not in content right, right. Uh, concept to uh, the Management Development Institute? Because I think the model is, is really, really valuable. That's great. Excellent. And I would encourage our viewers and listeners to, to reach out to Holly to have that conversation. Like you said, uh, Holly, if, if they have a, a client need or association relationship or something like that, where that could be valuable. That's great. Yeah, absolutely. As we wrap up, I want to go back to one thing that you mentioned earlier. And I think it's you, you describe the difference between elite high level performers and <laughs> and average folks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the one of the key differences you cited was is that elite performers specifically structure their time and take time to practice what they know they need to practice. Mm-hmm. So in our world, right, of consultants and busyness, Sometimes it's just for busyness sake. Sometimes it's more productive, but we all have things that we can do. We all have distractions on our time. What are one or two or three different suggestions or strategies that you might recommend to a consultant like me or or our viewers and listeners out there who know that they have weaknesses or skills that need to be sharpened or programs that need to be polished or whatever their equivalent of elite performance is in their firm how do we go about what, what are a couple of things that we can do to make sure that we take that time or hold fast to that time that we need to do that practice or do that working on the business or on ourselves? 
That's a that's a really great question, Scott. And the first thing is to get really clear on whatever your win is. And you can do that for your business. You can do it for a client project. You can do it for your day. (laughs) What's my win? And define it with specificity. Um, No elite performer just says, oh, gosh, I'm going to run really fast or, (laughs) you know, (laughs) right. So it's very, very uh, it's crucial to your brain, in fact. And without going into too much of the detail on what it does in your brain, but to get really clear with specificity on the win as if you've already achieved it. And that's a very important um, thing to think about. So we call it presumptive language as there's a, as if there's no question you will achieve it and future active past tense. So define your win as if you're already there in the active past tense. What did you, imp- you know, what was implemented, executed, achieved, accomplished, et cetera. Yeah. That prompts your brain into what I call prove yourself right mode. So that's when we start looking for evidence and pieces and parts and our synapses begin occurring because we're better at proving ourselves right than almost anything else we do as an adult human. So once we start that process of getting crystal clear on when, again, at any level, then what you want to do is every single day, the first two minutes of your day, set a timer, focus of what I do today, what will move me, my team, my organization closer to winning and do that. Gotcha. Constantly ask yourself that question. What will move me, my team, my organization closer to winning? That's how you want to focus your time. That is the most incredible time management tool there is. And get yourself really organized around that. Even if you're not one of those people that's naturally organized or you don't prefer that style, do it anyway. Do it anyway. Be structured and disciplined. But to do that, you must have clarified the win first. I find too many individuals and clients are structured, are organized, or disciplined. The problem is it's not around a win. It's just around a to-do list or a set of activities. So get really clear on that first. That's huge. Um, And again, uh, I feel like you're speaking directly to me Uh, (laughs) in terms of that specific advice. I can relate to so much of that, right? I'm defining my day based on a to-do list that some of those things may be important, but Am I consistently linking them to, do they move me closer to what a win is? And then the bigger question is, do I know what a win is? I think I do, but I'm not actively asking myself on a daily basis that question of, are these things on my to-do list that are urgent and important by my perception, truly the thing that, that's going to be the best use of my time, my effort, my resources, et cetera. Right. So first two minutes of the day, get, get clear on a win. Take the first two minutes of the day, focus, and and then consistently ask yourself that question. What action, what activity will move me closer to a win as I've defined it? Again, like you said, in whatever level, personally, professionally, with a client, with a family member, right? I mean, it applies across personal and professional life, right? Then even to planning a vacation. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it It really does. (laughs) That makes sense. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, Holly, this has been a delight and a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time today. I've, I've got a couple of pages of notes just from our conversation here. And I know that everybody took away a lot of value. I want to especially thank you too, Holly, for 
kindly sending me a copy of your book, uh, Using Your Brain to Win. After our first conversation, just a couple of days later, I get this package in the mail with this book and a, a very nice handwritten note. And again, talk about someone who practices what they preach. Um, and and we didn't even really know each other. We, we had just uh, met each other, I think, online somehow or through someone else. And at any rate, I really appreciate that. And I would encourage everybody to pick up, uh, Holly has a bunch of books, uh, but I would encourage everybody to pick up a copy of this one. Uh, I have read through it and uh, have learned a ton. So, um, Holly, if someone wants to get in touch with you or learn more about the human factor, your business, uh, potentially talk with you about the Management Development Institute and how that might work for their clients or people that they know, what's the best way for them to contact you or your company? Sure. Um, so, I think there's two pretty simple methods. Go to our website, thehumanfactor.biz. Or um, you can send me an email directly, holly, H-O-L-L-Y, at thehumanfactor.biz. Either way, you'll, you'll get to me. Um, if you send an email and I don't get back to you in 24 hours, it means it probably went into spam or got blocked somehow. So keep trying. Um, <laughs> the website doesn't get blocked. So that, that, right. that often is a good backup because I, I, I do work really hard to be very responsive so, um, and I'm happy to connect with anyone and, you know, whatever I can do to support others and being even more successful, that's my mission. So, well, you, you uh, certainly are executing that with me and I really appreciate it. It's been great uh, getting to know you and I will look forward staying in touch um, over <laughs> the many months and years to come. So wishing you the best, Holly. Thank you again for your time. And uh, with that, everybody, I wish you all the best of success until next time. This is Consulting with Authority with Scott Cantrell. Thank you, Holly Green. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I hope you got a ton of value out of this episode. And before we go, I want to thank the sponsor of our show, Smart Solutions Media. Smart Solutions Media empowers business owners, consultants, and other independent professionals to easily attract better prospects and transform them into long-term clients. If you're a B2B consultant or service professional and would like to start filling your pipeline with better quality prospects, Visit us on the web at smartsolutionsmedia.com to learn more about what we can do to help you. Be sure to complete this short two-minute accelerated growth scorecard you can find on the website, and you'll receive a complimentary strategy session where we'll give you specific insights and recommendations to help you attract high-value clients. Until next time, make sure you are consulting with authority.